Easter. All my senior pastor friends never preach on the Sunday after Easter because uh, Sunday after Easter people tend not to show up. So the folks that are here, thank you for being here. You are the few, the proud, the Marines. The folks are doing it right. So th thanks for being here, those of you who are here in person and those of you watching all around the world, including the Philippines, Africa, all over the place. So we're going to get into the Word of God. I'm Dave Householder, blessed to be your Bible teacher. And we're going verse by verse through the book of Acts. If you want to get your Bibles out, we're at Acts 13, verse 44 and following. That's Acts 1-3, Acts 13, verses 44 and following. Uh, we're bound is our theme for the year, and we're going through the book of Acts. I thought, well, we should have a, like a theme for our sermon series and a theme for the year, but it's going to take us more than a year to get through the book of Acts, so I think it fits just to call it Outward Bound because it fits so well. Today we're going to talk about Paul running into tribalism. Paul runs into tribalism here, and tribalism is one of our biggest problems in our country, in our world, and within the church, and between denominations and everything else. And tribalism tends to sort of rear its ugly head and cause all kinds of divisions within the body of Christ, within the world, within our nation, within our neighborhoods, within our families, everywhere. Tribalism. Now there's two kinds of tribalism. We have to be able to discern between harmless tribalism and toxic tribalism. Harmless tribalism is things like school spirit. Being a sports fan, I pretty much cheer for any football team playing against the Green Bay Packers. And that's uh, <laughs> that is harmless tribalism. And in the back, you've got Kim and Tanya, who've got a little running thing going on between Notre Dame and USC. And there's, that's harmless tribalism. It's fun. It's fun, to, it's fun to root for a team. It's fun to have school spirit. I remember in high school, our homecoming game was against the Jefferson Jaguars. And uh, our whole theme was bag the Jags. And we were going we to go after them. And somebody went into the science refrigerator and pulled out a dead cat that was there for like what do you call it when you open up animals dissecting and it was smelled like formaldehyde and it was in a bag so it was hanging up there and that was our symbol for what we were going to do to the Jefferson Jaguars and so <laughs> so uh, that's harmless sports stuff school spirit patriotism I, I remember now this dates me but back in 1980 when the Americans beat the, the Russians in hockey at the Olympics, that was a really big deal. And I levitated out of my seat, USA, USA. This is harmless tribalism. There's also such a thing as toxic tribalism, where it turns into true hatred, where Dodger fans start to beat up and even, in one instance, kill a Giants fan. Dehumanizing people who disagree with us. You see this in propaganda posters. I saw one recently from World War One. World War One, and it said, beat back the Hun. And there was this German coming at you with a spiked helmet. Folks, first of all, Germans are not Huns. Huns are a different ethnicity than Germans. And World War One, the Germans had a more advanced democracy than we did at the time. The idea that there were some in World War II, they were a horrible dictatorship. World War I, they weren't. The idea that we were going to fight evil, no, 
nobody knows why anybody fought World War I. It's just a big mess. And we dehumanize the enemy. Once you start to dehumanize the enemy, then it becomes okay to kill the enemy. It becomes okay to commit atrocities against the enemy. And so it's so important that that harmless sort of tribalism doesn't turn into toxic tribalism. Schismatic religion. What do I mean by that? I mean religious people who break table fellowship, communion, bread in the, bread in the cup, and break Christian fellowship with Christians who teach a little bit differently on different things. I'm not talking about the essentials. I'm not talking about the divinity of Christ or the validity of the Bible. I'm talking about little family customs that churches have. And people divide over the craziest things. They will divide over, well, we'll get to that in a second. So Paul right now, we're going to get into the word. Acts 13, 44 and following. Paul is traveling from Syria, which is purple on the map, to Cyprus a few weeks ago, up to Pamphylia, which was last week, and he's in Antioch of Pisidia today. So there's lots of different Antiochs. Antioch was a real popular town name. Kind of like there's a Bloomington, Indiana, a Bloomington, Minnesota, and a Bloomington, Illinois, and states kind of right next to each other. So Antiochs were all over the place. And he started out in the church in Antioch in Syria, and today he's going to be going through Antioch in Pisidia. And this is all a part of Galatia. Why is that important? Paul wrote a letter to the church in Galatia, which was to all these Christians. And here we're going to see where Paul made the shift from teaching just to the Jews to the Gentiles. Now this got him in trouble with the head office in Jerusalem because he started converting Gentiles, people who weren't Jews, without the first step of becoming Jews first. The original Christians were basically Jews for Jesus. And all of a sudden, Paul is going way off the reservation and converting all of these people and telling them, oh, you don't have to worry about kosher laws. You don't have to worry about sacrifice. You don't have to go to Jerusalem to the temple. In fact, you don't even have to keep the Sabbath. He said, for some of you, every day is the same. Some of you have a holy day, some of you don't. So he's actually infringing on the Ten Commandments. And this got him into a lot of trouble. So he's out here trying to convert the Jews to Christianity or trying to elevate the Jewish faith to believing in Jesus. And they are not having it. Why? Because they were practicing, in this case, you're going to see it, harmless or toxic tribalism. Toxic tribalism. Toxic tribalism divides people spiritually over things that should not be divisive. If you don't believe me, little things like how we do communion, how we do baptism, people will divide over those things. People will divide over what kind of cup you use for communion. It's amazing what people will find to divide over. Now what you just saw up here was contemporary Christian music. There are people who will have no fellowship with people who do contemporary Christian music and vice versa. There's lots of different styles with music. So let's get into the word. Acts 13, 44. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. This is Paul and Barnabas. 
But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, not all of the Jews, some of the Jews were coming to faith in Jesus. Some of them were getting filled with the Spirit. Some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous. And all of a sudden, Paul and Barnabas became an enemy. So they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, It was necessary that we first preach the word of God to the Jews, but since you have rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. We will offer it to the nations. In Hebrew, the goyim. And that's not a positive word in Hebrew. If you've got a, a, a Jewish-American princess as a daughter, and she's dating some German or Irish or, or Italian guy, you're thinking, oh, what are we going to do? She's dating one of the goyim. This is not a positive thing if you're a tribal Jew. Now, there's some Jews that are not tribal. But if you're a tribal Jew, that's a big deal. Goyim. The Aramaic says the other people. The Greek says the ethnoi, from which we get the word ethnic. You've got to watch out for those ethnics, you know, that kind of thing. You've got to watch out for people who aren't like us, who don't share our customs. Wendy and I have been to lots of churches while we've been traveling and been on vacation. And if you're sitting in a church where it's not all one ethnicity, I guarantee you, you're in a Spirit-filled church. Unless you're a Spirit-filled church that's open to the Holy Spirit, you're not going to have a multi-ethnic congregation. And if you have a Spirit-filled church, you will have a multi-ethnic congregation. Why? Because the Holy Spirit overrides all of those ethnicities. And if you aren't emphasizing the presence of the Holy Spirit, take that away from church, you're going to be emphasizing the ethnicity and the theology of your church which is going to exclude people who are different. So it's so important that we continue to welcome the Holy Spirit. So the Lord gave us, verse 47, Paul and Barnabas, this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. He's quoting Isaiah. Isaiah was a big picture guy. Paul's a big picture guy. Jesus was a big picture guy. All of them were basically, how should I say it, they were tribalism beaters, tribalism defeaters, tribalism overcomers. Because tribalism, some of it's harmless, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having an ethnicity. I, I come out of basically Scandinavian background, and we've got all kinds of funny quirks that I think are kind of cute in our ethnicity. The way we think, the way we operate, when we get together with a bunch of people of Scandinavian background, we tell inside Oli and Lena jokes, the whole thing. You know, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. But the minute you start to think of yourself as better than other people, that becomes a real problem. There's nobody in this room more patriotic than me. You could be a, as patriotic, but you can't be more patriotic. Because 4th of July, they come down with a flag, you know, at the very beginning, and I get all weepy and the whole deal. I, I just... I'm very blessed to be an American, and I get very whatever about that. But if I start thinking that God loves Americans better than other nationalities, I've crossed a line. And I have to make sure I don't go from harmless, harmless, uh, uh, I want to find a, a different word than just um, 
constantly saying tribalism, but harmless tribalism into a more toxic tribalism. So Paul is quoting Isaiah, and Isaiah said, God spoke through Isaiah saying, I've made the Jews a light to the Gentiles. We're here for the whole world. We're here to bring the whole world up. And Judaism at its best does exactly that. Some of our best thinkers, almost half of our Nobel Prize winners in the history of the world have been Jewish people who have been incredibly light bringing to the world. They, they've brought us all kinds of advances in science and math and philosophy and all kinds of stuff. And we're benefiting from that. That's Judaism at its best. At its worst, it's we're the chosen people and you're not. And God loves us more than he loves you. And we can cross that line very quickly. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message. And all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. Now I want to help you with something here. It makes it look like some people were predestined for salvation, some were not. Now the word here, you can write this down if you've taken notes, is tasso, T-A-S-S-O. And tasso, the Greek word that Luke uses, is a military word for being positioned correctly. When you're marching, and military people always to this day practice marching. That's what they do out in front of the barracks. They march back and forth. Just like Bill Murray and, and, uh, and Stripes, you know, his little thing. They just, they're always practicing the little back and forth marching thing because they have to learn to operate as a, as a group, as a team. And those people were correctly positioned to receive came to faith. And when we start to turn that into predestination, that's, oh, God chose me to be saved, but didn't choose you. And once again, that turns into toxic tribalism. So here we have the people who were receptive, is a better word for it, the people who were receptive to receiving. So the Lord's message spread throughout the region. And everybody was happy? No. Then the Jews stirred up the influential religious women and leaders of the city, and some translations say the wealthy women. So these are the Newport ladies who lunch. You know, these are the, the and, and, and they pull some strings. And they pull some strings. And I'm sure Sean has done some work with some of them. And uh, they, have a, they, have a lot of, uh, they have a lot of political power at their, at their behest. And so, of course, you go after the Newport ladies who lunch and the leaders of the city. And they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. Never underestimate what the Newport ladies can do to you. So they shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium. And the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And in the next chapter, these enemies of Paul follow him and literally the rocks start to fly. So you'll see that next week. Tribalism, when it gets cranked up, it's okay to kill people who are on the other side of the line that you perceive because you've dehumanized them and you've gone toxic. The key is to have fun with harmless tribalism and not let yourself become a, a toxic tribal person. Jesus continuously did this. What nationality was he working with mostly? Jewish people. What was his parable about? The good Jewish person or the good... Samaritan. The Samaritans were the hated ethnicity. In my mind, the Green Bay Packer fans, you know, just beyond the pale, 
beyond the pale or the Jefferson Jaguars or whatever you want to, you know, wherever you want to call them. For most Jews, you do not eat with them, you do not talk with them, you do not touch them, heaven forbid, because they're Samaritans and they're kind of like us Jews, but they're a little bit different. You know, there's still Samaritans in Israel today. And now the Jews accept them because they need them. There's a couple of Samaritan villages to this day. And you see, the Samaritans have a, just a teeny tiny bit different version of the Old Testament. It's, it's almost, you couldn't even tell the difference. But to tribal Jews, that's, that's off the reservation. You guys don't count. You're not one of us chosen people. Jesus continuously said things like he said to this centurion, in all of Israel I haven't seen faith like yours. And then he tests the Syrophoenician woman. And she wants Jesus to do something for him. And he says, well, you know, I was sent first to the Jews, not to people like you. And she says, oh yeah, and they, they go into this whole thing and they're testing each other. And finally he says, woman, great is your faith. And she was a Syrophoenician woman. The woman at the well, all of these people, he's always looking at the people on the outside of He's, Jesus is always expanding the circle. Expanding the circle so that people don't go toxic. I still remember, I won't tell you which brother it was, but it was my brother Mike, and <laughs> we were baptizing his son, Jonathan. And Mike said, now you're a child of God. And afterwards, I said to him afterwards, what was he before? <laughs> what was he before? Sure, sure we become children of God when we come to faith. But everyone is made in God's image. God wants everyone to come to faith. People who haven't come to faith are not not children of God. They're people who don't know they're children of God yet. Do you understand the difference? And what we have to help people understand is that they are children of God. They don't get made into God's image when they come to faith. People are given all kinds of gifts and all kinds of stuff before they come to faith. And the Holy Spirit's already working on them before they come to faith. So Jesus is continually expanding the circle and fighting tribalism. And how did it go for him? He was crucified by tribal people. People who couldn't handle the message. Couldn't handle the fact that he was there for everybody. Here's the problem is when distinctives become salvation issues. Kim, our worship pastor, often if we get into a, a little discussion in church about what we should do or what we shouldn't do or some people disagree, she's said several times, and I've heard her several times, is it a salvation issue? And then we say, oh, I guess not. Then people can disagree about those things. If it's not a salvation issue, I believe there's such a thing as good theology, and we should strive for it, but I don't pretend to own it or have a contained container of it that I just, you know, I know exactly what's right and wrong. I'm trying to strive for that. But who thinks God is not impressed with my wisdom? No, of course not. And so we want to strive for better thinking, better biblical thinking, but the truth is we don't often know. And every church has distinctives. One of our distinctives is being relational. One of our distinctives is being open to the Holy Spirit in a, in a big way. One of our distinctives is women in leadership. One of our distinctives is the way we do communion. 
One of our distinctives is contemporary Christian music. We don't have two services, one for traditional and one for contemporary. The way we do things. We're very different when it comes to baptism. We're the only church I know of any church that baptizes anyone of any age with any amount of water when they feel led to be baptized or their parents feel led to baptize them. That's a distinctive. The problem is when those distinctives become things that separate us from other Christians. That we break fellowship with people that don't share our distinctives. Now I understand not being totally in fellowship with Hindus, Muslims, whatever. I get that, but I'm talking about Christians. If someone says Jesus is Lord and they really mean it and they trust the Bible and they're open to the Holy Spirit, we shouldn't be breaking fellowship with them over distinctives. Is there anything wrong with having a distinctive? No, it's fun to have distinctives. I like to go to churches on vacation with different distinctives. I've been, I was at a cathedral in Vienna once with my son as we were traveling on our Ural Pass. A cathedral is hundreds of years old with gigantic windows, this 300 foot high ceiling and the whole deal, candles and the whole deal. And the preacher preached an amazing message. It was really good, but it was very formal. And it was beautiful. And the Lord can operate through formal or informal through a room like ours or great architecture. I'm going to teach you a, a different word here. Adiaphora. Let's all say that together. It's a fancy theological word for everything that we talk about theologically that's not a salvation issue. Adiaphora are those things that are optional. And there's nothing wrong with optional things as long as we don't turn them into things that break fellowship with other people or we turn them into salvation issues which they are not. Churches also break fellowship over decision-making structure. Does the denomination decide? Does the pastor decide? Does the team decide? Or does the congregation decide? In the Bible, we have examples of all the above. There is no one way to run a church. It depends on how the Lord invites you to run a church. Our church is team-led. We have a team of trustees and we make our big decisions as a team. Why? Because I'm the senior pastor and that works best for me because I know my limitations and when I'm having a big decision, I want, a, I want us to make that decision with a broader sense of wisdom. And some pastors would rather do it differently than that and that's fine. Some pastors are very consensus-based. Everything's a congregational vote. And there's nothing wrong with that because they're consensus-oriented leaders. And other leaders are very authoritarian. I had one pastor say, our church is a theocracy and my name's Theo. In other words, he, what he says goes and his church is doing great. There's lots of ways to run a church. But all those things are adiaphora. Do you all understand what adiaphora is now? There's nothing wrong with distinctives. But if we break fellowship over those or turn other Christians into enemies, we run into all kinds of problems. We become like the Jews in this story. They're actually getting in the way of Paul who's trying to broaden the, the scope of the gospel. We had one guy in our men's group who just summed this up so perfectly. You are a three-story house. I've showed you this lots of times. The first floor is your body, your physicality. 
your brain, your heart, blood vessels, you know, all the stuff that is physical, all the stuff you can measure. The top floor is your spirit, that's your truest self. That's the part of you that is most connected to God. When you've been filled with the spirit, God's spirit comes and fills the third floor and you, you sense something. But your, your mind, your mind, excuse me, your mind lives on the second floor. That's where you make decisions. That's where your emotions are. That's where your thinking is. That's where your will is. The best chapter in my mind, the whole Bible, is Romans 8. And Romans 8 is all about how you sit on the second floor and you have a choice every day, am I going to follow the Spirit or am I going to follow the flesh? Am I going to follow what my flesh tells me or am I going to follow what the Spirit tells me? And it's all about life and the Spirit. And we have a choice all the time in every decision. Am I going to listen to the Holy Spirit or am I going to listen to my baser desires? What does that have to do with this? When we're thinking in the flesh, we're tribal. tribal in the flesh, we are tribal. We, we like to stick around people like us. There's people who will tell you, if you want to build a church, you make sure you bring in people just like you. It's called the PLUS method, which is people like us. Which is not Christian. Which is not biblical. We want to be a church of all people. And this guy in our men's group said that when we're following the Spirit, we are following a more universal picture. And when we're following the flesh, we're tribal. And we have a decision all the time. Are we going to be tribal Christians or are we going to be spirit-led Christians? This is why spirit-filled churches are often multi-ethnic. Because they're not following the flesh. The flesh says, I don't want to be around people that aren't like me. So that, I think, is the key to operating in the way Paul was operating, Isaiah was operating, and Jesus was operating. Here's some practicalities. Recognize the difference between harmless tribalism, which is fun, and toxic tribalism, which is deadly. Set a firm boundary not to cross. Be okay with your kind of fun, harmless tribalism. My wife often says, because of her background, you're not much if you're not Dutch. It's just, that's, that's harmless. It's harmless tribalism. But you could cross over into saying, well, since Germany invaded us, I'm going to hate all Germans. That's crossing a line. Set a firm boundary for yourself not to cross from harmless to toxic. Engage people outside of your tribe. Engage people who aren't a part of your ethnicity, your denomination, or even your faith. Paul was doing it constantly. Folks, you can't save souls if you don't talk to unsaved people. It's really simple. And the longer you've been in church, the less likely you are to share your faith. Why? Because all your friends are in church. We should all be cultivating at least some relationships outside of church. Otherwise, we can never share our faith. Cultivate love. Cultivate love for outsiders. People who have not yet come to faith. Pre-Christians. Christians who disagree with us. The more we cultivate love, the more we will see the bigger picture Jesus was trying to show us. And he went so far as to say, and this is not found in any other religion, love your enemies. 
And that's not just checks the box. Oh, yeah, I love them. I just hate everything they do, and I hate what they stand for, and I hate everything about them. Well, no, you don't love them at that point. Uh, so I, really, I really do love them. I just, you know, if we really do love them, let's say, well, I've heard this phrase lots of times, love, love the sinner but hate the sin. I agree with that. Ask the person, do you feel more love from this person? or more hatred? What are you feeling? What are you feeling from that person? Because that's really the litmus test as to whether or not you really do love that person. Because if that person can't tell you love them, then that's probably not going to come across real well. I'm dealing with a mom right now who's dealing with her son who is off the rails, spiritually, politically, everything. He went to college and all kinds of stuff is happening. And she says, should I send this letter to him? And she said, just, I disagree with this, disagree with this, but totally showed him that she loves him. She said, I want to get it right. In my womb, I started to understand what unconditional love was when you were, th when you were there. He knows she disagrees with her. But he also knows she loves him and probably knows more about the fact that she loves him than disagrees with him. Who thinks she has a better chance of getting through to him with that? Think evangelism, not just politics. Christians, occasionally, when we get too worked up politically, and we have some, there are some Christian political issues. There really are. There are some biblical issues which are also political. How to treat strangers. How to value human life. God's plan for the family. All of that stuff. Those are biblical issues which have a political implication. But if we get really worked up with those things, we often wreck our chance to reach the people we disagree with. I would rather reach a person than beat him or her in an argument. If I can lead someone to Christ, I'll let the Holy Spirit work out their politics or their theology. We need to be able to reach people and love people. Don't read the Bible tribally. If you take your flesh, remember the three-story building? and read the Bible with your flesh, you'll become a tribalist and you'll find verses to back up your tribalism. If you read the Bible with the help of the Holy Spirit, you will never succumb to toxic tribalism because you'll get the big picture. Yes, it is. It's how you read the Bible, what you bring to the Bible. You're bringing a spirit-filled or a flesh-guided thing. Because you could become a legalist by finding Bible verses that support your legalism if you're going at it with the flesh and reading it without love and without the Spirit. You'll miss it. Learn the art of non-defensive conversation. When we disagree with people, not going defensive. And we can tell we've gone defensive when the other person goes into defense mode. You ever start to win an argument, the other person starts to get really worked up and starts to yell at you and call you things and You've just lost the argument, even if you're winning. When the other person goes into defense mode, that's proof that you're winning. But you've wrecked it already. 
because you've made that person defensive and they're going to try to save face. This never happens with married couples. <laughs> person can try to save face and find a way out of it. Practice the art of a disagreeing conversation that never sends the other person into defense mode. Because they go into defense mode when they think they're losing. And they've decided they're not going to agree with you no matter what. That's a psychological truth and a biblical truth. If you're going to argue over something with somebody and go all tribal on somebody, ask yourself a question. Is this on the Creator's short list? I've shared this with theologians, with pastors, who get all worked up over a distinctive. Oh, we're going to have communion every week, not every other week. And I'll say, look at the stars. Look at what God made. Is this on his short list, whether you have communion every week or every other week? Really? And people go to the mat on some of these arguments. And I say, no, is this, is this on the creator's short list? Almost always the answer is what? No. Is what's happening to civilians in Ukraine on the creator's short list? Yes, it is. Is the fact that we're losing a whole generation of people to who knows what in this country on the Creator shortlist? Yeah, it is. Is what kind of cup we use for communion on the Creator shortlist? No. Chuck Smith had a... I, it didn't make it into the movie. I wish it was in the movie. Have you heard about the carpet sermon? Well, they talked about the carpet a little bit because these hippies were bringing in sand between their toes and was getting in the carpet. Chuck Smith went down, cut out a piece of carpet, and put it on the altar. People walked in and said, what's the, what's the piece of carpet doing on the altar? So I just think you ought to know. We, we got to make a decision today. We're going to worship the carpet or we're going to worship Jesus. And the Jesus movement <laughs> was born that Sunday. Because Chuck decided to go universal and not tribal. That's awesome. <laughs> Somebody's happily singing along. Is this on the creator shortlist? And the carpet was not on the creator shortlist. The hippies sitting in church, that was on the creator shortlist. And the last one, which nobody likes. If you go universal and leave toxic tribalism behind, they will come after you. I hope you will count the cost. Chapter 14, you can look at it yourself. We'll talk about it next week. The rocks started to fly in Paul's direction. Big rocks. Jesus got strung up on the cross. People misunderstand Martin Luther King. He wasn't fighting for black rights. He kept talking about color shouldn't make a difference. And he was shot by a tribalist. There were tribalists among his own ethnicity that didn't like what he was saying. If you take the gospel seriously, make sure you look good on wood. I'm not just saying that. You will suffer for it. People always have.
So there's tribalism. Harmless tribalism. Toxic tribalism. This is one of my favorite paintings. I'm going to close with this and invite the worship team up. Norman Rockwell's famous painting. One more good reason to avoid toxic tribalism. Is there going to be any tribalism in heaven? No. What does Jesus command us to do in the Lord's Prayer? He taught it in Aramaic. That was his language. Akeno de Bashmayo af baro. Akeno, so it is, de Bashmayo in the heavens, af baro, on the earth. We're called to be heaven bringers. And until the earth looks like heaven, we got work to do. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for Paul and Barnabas. Who came from a strong, solid, gifted ethnicity. They laid that aside to reach people outside. They were propelled by your Holy Spirit. The flesh created the Tower of Babylon, which divided people. The Holy Spirit brought languages together at Pentecost. Make us Pentecost people, not Tower of Babel people. Give us each a chance to be a heaven bringer this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. The ultimate heaven bringer.
And I just wanted to proclaim that silently in my heart for a moment. And what a beautiful thing to have a God that listens to even when you don't say anything. <laughs> so let's sing that chorus together again. And uh, again, thanks for holding it down for me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 